Okay, so we're going through uh, Acts, and uh, in your outline, these points here, 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, follow A, B, C, D, and E of Paul's missionary journeys to the end of the world, okay, to the end of the world. But I thought it'd be helpful for us to just plot them out and see where they follow, fall along a timeline. Uh, the first missionary journey from 46 to 49, we've already passed. Uh, we're in the second missionary journey here as he really prophesies that uh, what Jesus prophesied is being carried out through this Jewish rabbi, Saul turned Paul, we looked at his conversion last week, to bring this gospel to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth. The gospel is the word of God, the truth of God. It is the way God thinks about humanity. Uh, The gospel is the message of the Bible. It is the good news that fixes our bad news from Genesis. It is, we could say, God's big paradigm, his perspective, uh, his worldview. Um, It is how we hang meaning and purpose for our life, uh, but also for all that is around us. Ideas matter. Philosophies matter. Philosophies are just the, the ideas that make up what you do, and the greatest ideas that you will have are what you view and how you view God, those around you, eternity. And so, like Tozer said, we should all agree that what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. And so the gospel is God's paradigm for man's philosophy. Great thinkers have come along and kind of plopped in human history and their ideas and their philosophical kind of paradigm shifts have sent waves that carry down through the ages. One of these would be Socrates and 400 years before Jesus, exactly 450 years before Paul came to Athens, you have Socrates in Athens and you find him struggling with his philosophical ideas uh, under the face of death, sentenced to death, uh, but not considering his body anything good, but that the absence from the body and death itself is a positive thing entering into what he considered would be uh, speaking philosophy with other philosophers in, in a field somewhere. Uh, after he died, um, released from this body of, what he said, a messy pit of passions and rude cravings, the soul, rather than the flesh alone, was capable of seeing truth. And so death was looked forward to when the soul would be set free and find true virtue and happiness. And so as he's faced with the sentence of death, what does he do? He finds some hemlocks, and he ushers himself there. This is a wrong view of life, death, of the body. Uh, Plato, alive at that time, but 50 years later is, is when he would come to more prominence. The same city, Athens. His cry typifies the hearts of hundreds and, I would say, millions of people, but hundreds of philosophers as 
he cries out, oh, that there were some sure word, right? some stable ideas, some revelation from God upon which we might cast our souls as we cross this boundless sea to some further unknown shore. Longing for revelation, longing for certainty, longing for knowledge from God. And so 400 years exactly to that point, this Jewish rabbi comes up and he says, your bodies are not wicked. In fact, God himself took upon himself a human body, was born without sin, lived without sin, died and rose again in his body, and all of you who believe in him will rise again to live eternally with him. And wow, what a, what a large message this reverberations kind of carry to this day, of course, because we believe and we claim the same thing. He claimed that Jesus is the true Lagos, the, not just the idea, the embodiment of truth, the actual way, the truth, and the life. And those who come to the Father must come through him. The city was not unchurched. Uh, it was secular in the sense of not Bible. No Bible. Very little Jewish influence. And of course, very little to no Christian influence. And so Paul comes there and he's, he says, let me at him. So I think this is very, very applicable to us. All right? our, our city needs, uh, it, it's in Athens that needs preaching. Uh, it needs people who are equipped and ready to share the message of Jesus as the way of life. Not as a grievesome burden, but as, as we'll see, as Paul vexed in our hearts that folks are not embracing this truth. And so God sent Paul, as we'll see, to city, 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 city. I was just at a conference earlier this week, and, and it's just interesting to talk to these, some of these brothers who pastor churches of towns of 500 people. Not in their building, in their whole town. And that's great. But often God sends his people to cities. He sends his people to where there are masses of people. The New York metro area, 20 million people. This is a big chunk of America right here. And he sets you here for a reason. Um, There there are many around us who who have no knowledge of this, of God's revelation, of his reason for living, his paradigm uh, for how to make everything work in our life. I remember walking in Briarwood and I was passing out some invitations to a, I can't it was a Bible conference we were having and, and you, if you came, you got a free study Bible. And I remember this little boy about eight years old looking up at his mom and saying, Mom, look at that. What's a Bible? What is a Bible? What is that? Right. Uh, this is Queens. Uh, Queens is similar to Athens. It's very religious. Queens is very religious. I think it's the most religious borough, Um, but not very Christian. 1%, 1 1.6% would would consider themselves like a Bible-driven Christian. 
And so when Paul comes on the scene and sees Athens, I think his ideas that he shares and his methodology would be something we should follow. But first of all, I think we should uh, grasp his heart. Okay, grasp his heart. So let's get there. I I really would love to, and I I probably need to do a whole Sunday school class with this. I'm just going to survey where we are up to this point. Uh, Paul's first missionary journey would be from 46 to 49 AD. There the gospel goes to Asia. And you find that in Acts 13.1 to Acts 14.28. Okay? And you have all of these cities, again, cities that he hits. Um, I'll just read this one passage, and you, could, you read Acts, and this is just what he's doing constantly. Paul says, Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles, for the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. So he goes and he preaches the gospel for a few weeks. And like in Thessalonica, a church springs up in three weeks. Goes to the next city, preaches the gospel maybe for three months. People are saved. People are born again, changed for the rest of their lives. They organize leadership. There's another church. So these are just church planting missions. City to city to city, planting churches. Um, That's the the first missionary journey. Now the second missionary journey is is where we are, and this is where we'll stay here. I'm sorry, there's a pause. There's a Jerusalem Council, 50 AD. This is the parentheses. Uh, As as Acts 13 and 14, all these Gentiles are being saved. They're like, what are we going to do? Uh, like, we have no idea what to do with all these Gentile people. Everybody was Jewish. What's going on here? All these Gentile people are being filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're preaching the gospel too, and more people are getting saved. And a lot of, some of these churches are full of Gentiles. So what do we do with the Gentile Christians? And that's Acts 15. They've got to deal with this. So in the middle of all this exciting, exciting gospel proclamation, you have a board meeting. How boring. Uh, next week we have a good members meeting. You've got to do it. But uh, it's important. It's important. So Acts 15, that's what they have, this little parenthesis. And then he goes back on the road. Um, Second missionary journey, AD 50 to 52. All right, and so this is Paul's second missionary journey. uh, Where where they move, right, the first missionary journey was just here in Asia, Pamphylia. Right, just goes up in this area and back. Jerusalem Council. Now for the next two and a half years, he's going to go all the way into Macedonia. You remember the Macedonia vision? All right, and so uh, this is uh, kind of the next, the gospel is moving forward further. And so as we find him here, he's gone to Syria, Galatia, Macedonian vision to move on from Troas into Macedonia, Philippi. Remember, Paul's getting beat up at a lot of these places. Uh, Then Thessalonica, Berea, and then he makes it to Athens. They usher him quickly out of Berea because they're afraid they're going to they're going to stone him again. He's been stoned and left for dead um, before, and so they're afraid of that. So Paul, you go ahead and hide yourself in Athens, and so he goes and hides himself in Athens, and he tries to be quiet. He tries to just be a good citizen, head down, not making a ruckus. He just can't do it. That's just what yes, Paul cannot do it. And so we find him with this Mars Hill message reaching the unchurched here in Athens. Okay, so let's just walk through this. Uh, Acts 17, 16 to 32. Uh, first of all, I think that the most important thing here is this, this heart, the necessary heart for reaching a city 
or person with the gospel. Um, I, I do believe you have to have this before you share the gospel or your, the seed will just fall on, on deaf ears. If somebody thinks you're just trying to argue with them or prove that you are right and they are wrong, uh, it's just not going to go well. Okay? Uh, and so Paul is, he believes the gospel. And look at his, look at, look at verse 16. When Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. A few questions here. What was Paul doing? He's waiting. Uh, he's waiting for his team. Uh, he's waiting for them to go along with him in his journey. Uh, they, they often would stay for weeks, sometimes months, and Paul would set up a private business. This is awesome. This is what some of our missionaries are doing right now in closed countries. They set up a business and, and they share the gospel as a, as a normal business, business person in that community. So this is what he often did. In this case, uh, he's not doing that. He's trying to wait. What was his demeanor here? While he's waiting, what is his spirit? His spirit is what? It's provoked within him. This is a, a very strong word. Uh, from a word we get our paroxysms, like he's shaking violently. It is the idea. It's like... He, he can't control himself. He is so moved emotionally to be provoked or upset involving severe emotional concern. He can't handle it. He can't handle a city totally given to idolatry. He's not angry. Why aren't they being like me? Right? He's not reading the evening news and saying, wow, these people are just horrible. He's seeing someone that's trapped in the mud. And his heart is just overwhelmed within him. This city is totally without Jesus. And he can't stop. What did he see that made him so moved? He saw a city that was full of idols. This city, again, was very religious. Totally given to polytheism, pantheism, right? Worshiping the emperor, but worshiping Zeus, right? All of these different gods. In their philosophical ideals, they also had, uh, not all of them, not all the philosophies, they also were, were deeply religious, giving honor and tribute and worth to this thing or that thing. One historian said that there were 30,000 public statues in Athens, tens of thousands. At times, there were more statues than people, shrines, religious relics, systems of religious philosophies. And this concerned Paul. Um, th this should concern us. And, and so we, sh we should be sincere about our belief in the gospel. This is not just a traditional thing we do on Sundays. This is the truth. As we see the people around us, it's a heart of faith that recognizes this person is lost. This isn't just a, well, my family does this, so I do it. No, this is God's truth. Does anyone around you have a different value system? They value something else above God. They value their job, perhaps. Uh, perhaps an addiction. 
perhaps they value uh, a false god above Yahweh. Right? These are all value systems that are idols. There are way more than 30,000. There's some sports cars out there that are clearly idols. Right? People take their Saturday to wash them down and make sure it's that piece of metal is shiny again. And so Paul was affected severely. He could not hold back. And so he had to share. And so we move from the necessary heart for reaching a city or a person with the gospel. Pray for that. If you don't have that today, pray for that. That comes by faith. And it's what all of us need. We all need a heart. Right? Preaching the gospel is obedience. But also sharing Jesus with people comes as you love God. You love his name and you want his name known. You love people. And you know that, that life works when you are living for God. Okay, we need to move quickly here. The necessary approach. And this is just going to be some practical instruction through Paul's example about how we can share Jesus with others. Look at, first of all, consistent gospel reasoning. Consistent gospel reasoning. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers conversed with him. What does this babbler wish to say? Mothers, well, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities. Because he's preaching Jesus and the resurrection. A few questions here. Uh, Who did Paul speak to? Somebody name a few folks you see in verses 17 and 18. Who does he speak to? Stoics and Epicureans, good, these philosophical schools. Who else does he speak to? Some Jewish people, and then some devout persons. And what that's probably referring to is people who, are, who have come to the synagogue to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they're Gentile. Right, so there's a few of those. There's some Jewish, the, the archaeologists, we, we have found, I'm not an archaeologist, but they have found, uh, a small Jewish settlement there in, in Athens from this time. Um, so there are Jewish people there. So this is Paul's agenda. Saturday, he's going to the synagogue and he's preaching Jesus to Jewish people. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, well, Sunday he's probably resting and uh, worshiping. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, he is preaching the gospel to everyone else who will listen to him. Where is he going? Where does he speak? Well, in the synagogue, and where else? In the marketplace, every day. He goes to the marketplace. Uh, this is the agora. There would be a Greek agora and a Roman agora packed with altars, but also people selling their goods and selling their supplies, selling food. And Paul is there sharing Jesus with people. Um, now, this was normal for that day. Let me just, just say that, right? Sometimes you feel overwhelmed and you're like, I just need to tell everyone in this subway car about Jesus. And some people do that. But a lot of times, like, people are just put off by that just because that's not the normal thing we do unless, unless you're a little out of your mind. So, like, we don't want to be associated with that. So what is the normal way that we communicate today? That's exactly what you think. What is the normal means of communication that, that our society gives? We use that communication to preach Jesus. As long as it's not wrong, we use that communication to preach Jesus. Word of mouth is awesome. Making friends, telling Jesus to them. Using your social media, right? using the internet, uh, using right, the agora. Meeting with people in the subway and uh, 
trying to share Jesus with them. This is what Paul is doing. Every day he's in the marketplace. Now that was common for them. The, the philosophers would come to the market and they'd start talking and people would gather. And, people, and if they had something to say, more and more people would gather. So Paul just goes there every day and he starts talking about Jesus and talking about Jesus. And now here's 10 people, 20 people, 30 people, 40 people. And he's getting a gathering. And they're listening to what he's talking about, the resurrection. That's his content. He's telling them about Jesus and the resurrection. Well, what do they think about him? These Epicureans and Stoics, right? there's actually kind of similar in that they're philosophies, but there's, there's a contrast there. Uh, the, Epic, the Epicurean and the Stoic. Um, the, the Epicurean, let's see here, maybe I'll talk about that in a minute. I think it's helpful to recognize that the Epicurean would, would uh, considered pleasure uh, as one of chief's, the man's chief good, good. But it wasn't necessarily hedonistic pleasure. It was pleasure within the realm of what is good in nature, right? So there's this pursue pleasure as their philosophical ideal. The Stoics kind of the opposite. Uh, they, they, they were to pursue asceticism, discipline, uh, putting off of pleasure, discipline themselves. And so Paul speaks to both of them. They're, they're in this free sharing of ideas, and they want to listen. I like that. We don't have that anymore. Right? It's just crazy with, with almost every media, but also like when you're talking with your friends and family, or it's like you can't say anything without someone yelling at you. Okay, hey, this is just what I hold to, right? This is just what the Bible says. You can disagree. And let's talk about that. But we've, we've lost the ability to debate things in our society. Not so there. They love to debate, to talk back and forth. They call Paul here, what do they say? This babbler. The idea there in the Greek word is seed picker. The idea is a bird that comes and picks this seed up and picks this seed up and picks this seed up. So they haven't quite gotten the whole gospel paradigm fit together in their minds yet. They're just hearing this little bit. Well, that kind of sounds more Epicurean. That kind of sounds more Stoic. Well, that kind of sounds more like Aristotle. And so they're putting all these ideas and it seems like he's picked something from everywhere. But no, he's just preaching the gospel. That's his content. So we have careful gospel preaching. As you do that, it's helpful for for us to understand uh, the audience. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. You bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Uh, so this, this seed picker has something of a message to say in the marketplace, right? Uh, and so, so they want to hear a little bit more. Uh, it's, it's very good for us to, to, to glean from this. Careful gospel preaching understands the audience. Uh, Paul is brought to the Mars Hill. Uh, this would be the, the idea of the, the god of war, the Areopagus. Uh, there, this would have been 500 years beforehand where the city council ran the city-state of Athens, right? The, the important spot. At that point, not, not as much. There would be some political meetings there, but Rome ruled the world. Um, but it was still where they would come and have formal gatherings. Paul's not on trial, but he definitely needs to present himself well 
or he'd be forbidden from sharing. And so 400 feet top of this hill, you have this spot where the sharing ideas is given. And he knows his audience. I think Paul prepared a sermon. He uses quotations. He uses images that illustrate his point. Um, Paul is getting ready, and sometimes we think, well, he's, he is inspired, right, Dominic, by the Holy Spirit. We just looked at that at the lesson this morning. Um, but the Holy Spirit can use preparation. The Holy Spirit used Luke to prepare, to study hard as he wrote the book of Luke and Acts. Um, the Holy Spirit uses us uh, even in, in, in preparing things. And so Paul is preparing a sermon designed for this group. And this is a group that is extremely religious, always wants to hear something new, so they're going to hear him out. And so he brings them this message. And so you deliver the message. Understand your audience. Uh, that's, that's very helpful as you talk to your family member, as you talk to that person. Right? Maybe you've been praying for them for years. They're your potted plant. You're preparing to share the gospel. They will pray, Lord, help me to think carefully about how I'm going to present this to them in a proper way. So he's going to give us some help with that, okay? Um, deliver the message. Identify with the hearers as we share this gospel message as you talk to your boss. You deliver the message identifying with those who are hearing you. He uses a common ground. Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus. All right, here's the big brains of the, of the day. Like this was the zenith of their liter, literary education. It's like, like this is where you go to learn. And here Paul is right in the middle of them. All right, in answer to Jesus' prophecy when he saved him. Um, and he says, men of Athens... I perceive that in every way you are very religious. He's buttering up a little bit. Um, He's saying something very positive about their culture. This is a good thing for you to do, right? When you talk the gospel with someone, don't just right out the bat, just blast them over the head with, with the bad news as much as just trying to gain some rapport with that person, right? Become their friend. Now, he can't become all of their friend at that point. But he's going to preach the gospel. But in in doing so, he's going to identify them with them. I think the King James Version mistranslates this. It says they're very superstitious. Um, That that wasn't the idea necessarily. It wasn't a negative term. It was actually considered to be, in one sense, positive in their minds. Yeah, we are very religious, right? And that's why I talk, I, I love Queens. I love ministering in Queens where we have people who are, who are not necessarily given over to hedonism. No, there's some of that, the given over to pleasure, but there's a very religious group of people here in Queens. I love ministering here. Uh, and, and so Paul right, says, hey, I, you guys are, are, are pretty religious, aren't you? Um, I think this is, is helpful for us as we, we talk to someone. Maybe this is you're talking to your coworker. I remember doing this. Uh, with a coworker, and, and, and he just connected with being spiritual. And so you may say that. Uh, they may even be atheistic, but they are serious about a problem in the world or, or, or an issue that you can be serious about as a Christian as well. I really appreciate how, how you are so concerned about the needs of X, Y, or Z. 
Immediately you have a common, now it's a totally different paradigm, that might be their religion. Right? But as a Christian, we can identify with a similar cause, common ground. And then use a common illustration to bridge from that commonness to the gospel. And so this is just genius. Of course, this is the Lord giving Paul the strength. But I love his ability to take something from the community that everyone knows, and he's going to use that to illustrate and preach the gospel. In that case, what is it? What does he use? A common illustration. An altar given to the unknown God. Right? And, and several historians uh, remark about this in Athens, that there was this, right? They're, they are superstitious in this sense, right? And, and so uh, they just were so careful with worshiping all the gods, and yet there's still a famine, so we must have missed one. So let's set this up. This is to the unknown god. Right, I, I'm afraid this is how some people be, you know, say they're Christian. Well, I haven't gotten any good stuff for a while going this way, so I'm going to choose this. And if it gives me good stuff, then, then I'm going to keep following Jesus. That is not Christianity. Right? Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. You follow him taking up your cross. All right, so, so anyway, but this illustration is, is awesome. Uh, he uses this image to preach Jesus. Right? Thinking through this this week, I had to, to do this in Times Square. Uh, thinking about a sign. And, and using that as a, as a mental picture, a picture of God's sign of the cross. Right, this is what Paul's doing. You have an altar there to an unknown God. That's who I'm preaching to you. So is Islam, it could be the day of sacrifice, Al-Adha. July, a time of sacrifice all over the Muslim world. Remembering Abraham's sacrifice of a goat instead of his son. Tim Kassie, who travels until he has cancer pray for our brother that he gets back to traveling but uh, with frontline missions uh, travels all over the closed uh, world and describes this festival in, in a city's stomach turning event as just the, the streets are flowing with blood as people are slitting the necks of goats and camels and cows and the idea is this blood is being spilt and my sins are being forgiven. Well, that is, a, that is a, a bridge to saying, how is it that we need our sins forgiven through sacrifice? How is it that Abraham would be called upon by faith to offer his only begotten son on Calvary? That happened on the mountain of Calvary before Jesus was born. For a Lubavitch Orthodox Jewish person, it might be the belief in Rabbi Schneerson. They believe that he will rise again. I remember visiting his gravesite here in Queens, a shrine that was set up, and people are offering prayers at his, they do to this day. I haven't seen it recently, but I, I'm guessing they do with COVID, doesn't shut that down. But they're offering, pouring out these prayers, writing these prayers at his grave, and they're waiting for him to rise again. I asked them, the officials there at the grave, are you waiting for him to rise again on the third day? And they said, no, 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 that's not what we mean. But then I went over here on 108th Street, uh, just here in Forest Hills, and there were young Lubavitch uh, Orthodox Jewish people saying, he's coming, repent, he's going to rise again. Right, so close. He did come, he did die, and he did rise again. 
Believe in Him. It's what your Torah teaches. For a co-worker holding Chinese New Year, it could be the idea of a new beginning. This is a new beginning. Look at the clockwork above us that shares these seasons, the days and nights for thousands and thousands of years that your civilization recognizes and observes. What an amazing clock. When you see a clock on the ground, who, right? you think someone dropped their clock. They wa- dropped their watch. You, you don't think, well, there was an explosion here and, and now there's a Rolex. Never. And yet, what we set our watches by is what is there. How did that happen? How did that happen? And you're bridging the gap to Jesus speaking all things from nothing. How can something come from nothing, life from non-life, that awakens the conscience of humanity all over the globe? It points to a creator. And so Paul uses this, but we could you, know, you just think through the different people you're talking to. Pray for grace. Lord, give me this common illustration. Jesus in John 4, what does he use with the woman at the well? He uses water. And he shares how right, the Spirit wants true worshipers. And that Spirit will be like a well of water springing up to eternal life. And he points to himself. And so we do the same. We point to God. Using a common illustration and then point to God. We have to get to God. Um, some people stop here. Well, I made a friend, and, and I, you know, I, just, I said I'm a Christian. You can't stop there. Kindness does not save people. And be careful there, right? Um, you have to be kind before someone will listen to you, but kindness will not save you. There's a lot of very, very sweet, kind atheists. Right? Satan comes as an angel of light. Right? He, he's, he sometimes deceives by being kind. Salesmen are very kind when they want to sell you something. That person was so kind. Yeah, until they have your money, then they just don't care about you. Anyone can show kindness. Kindness does not change that person's heart. The gospel does. So, so like this is all preparation for the seed to be sown. Let me just encourage us again, by God's grace, we have to get to God. We have to get to who God is as we share God with everyone. The supreme need in every hour, G. Campbell Morgan, in every hour of difficulty and distress is for a fresh vision of God. Seeing him, all else takes on proper perspective and proportion. And so we point to God. I'm just going to summarize these. These are so comforting. We, we point to God as the self-sufficient creator and sustainer. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in these temples. And so he's giving them a paradigm shift. You guys are thinking that God needs man to set up houses for him. No. He's not served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He made us from Adam. And so he gets back to creation. From one man, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places, that they should seek God, perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your poets have said, for we are his offspring. 
Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. And so he's really getting them away from their view of who God is and saying he is creator above all, transcendent, sustainer of all things. He doesn't need you. And so he's getting at the greatest sin of all of our hearts, and that is pride. The idea that God needs me. God needs my gifts. He needs my sacrifice. He needs my singing. He needs my worship. He doesn't need anything from us. He made us to where we enjoy giving to him, giving him glory. But he doesn't need any of that. And so he, he Paul is taking the rug from out of the under them. Their religiousness doesn't save them. God doesn't need anything from you. You need him. He sustains you. He creates you. And, and as I mentioned, he's, Paul's fashioned this together. He includes some poetry from secular philosophers. And so God is the all-sufficient creator, sustainer, but he's not just out there, he's here. He's with you. And he's not just with you excusing you, he's with you as your judge. And so he's the communicator and judge. Verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Even those of you in Athens, those of you in Queens who spend all your days, you can go to church every single day. That doesn't save you. God doesn't need any of that. He has made one way to be right with him, and that's the righteousness of God. And so we have an amazing, this is all of Romans, okay? All of these themes we're going to have come up and up and up and up in Romans. God is creator, sustainer. Jew and Gentile need to repent. Everyone in Athens needs to repent, whether you're Jewish or Gentile. You need to repent, and he is going, you are going to be judged by the Son. He's going to judge us by righteousness. This Son of God, Son of Man, will judge us by righteousness. And we find clearly delineated in Romans, it's the righteousness of God by faith, not by the works of the law. You can be right by God today, not by your own works, but by faith in Jesus, the one who died, was buried, and rose again, that we might be gifted righteousness, a right standing. He obeyed all the law that we could never obey. And so the judgment... is passed upon Jesus so that Jesus does not have to pass the judgment upon us. And so he is the son who is the judge of all. You will stand before him one day. You're standing before him right now. He sees you. You can't hide. But one day you'll stand face to face with Jesus. He died for you. He was buried. He rose again. And he commands you to to repent, to believe his message the way, the truth, the life, to turn from self, from every other way, and trust only in him, the gospel. He demands to humble ourselves and follow him. And when we embrace that message, when we commit to that message, God's message, that's what changes us from the inside out. And then we walk in his ways. This is the gospel. Now, when they heard of the resurrection, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. He died, took upon himself. The resurrection is the sign that that judgment was enough. 
heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. We don't need our bodies. This Gnostic dualism that says the body is wicked and could never be redeemed. No, Jesus redeems the body, soul, and spirit, and we are resurrected anew. Right? That's something Christian science never understood. Right? So Paul went out from their midst, 33 and 34. Some men joined him and believed, among whom were also Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. And then there's a church started in Athens. It's awesome. Right? This, is, this is what we're praying God will do in Briarwood. Each, each Saturday, we go to that public park, and we're just reading the Gospel of John. We're just encouraging people to sit down and listen to the Gospel of John, and some of them are believing. And then we keep doing that and doing that and doing that, and then there's 10 and 20, and then all of a sudden it's a new little church. This is what we're doing in Forest Hills. This is a great thing to be a part of, a message from God for us. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's, let's respond to this message of hope, right? This is, this is the, the, the good news that transforms the way we believe. And, and you may find yourself being very religious but lost, or very secular but lost. Very, right? You, you put the label of whatever faith system, it's just a philosophical view, worldview. Um, and, and Jesus comes and says, Turn from all of that and trust alone in me. In me you have life and have it abundantly. So God has come today. Let me encourage you to respond to the message in faith. But I think the, the Spirit, what he wants us to do as we read the book of Acts is to consider this as a church, as motivation to pray that what happened at Athens would happen here, that we would see these individuals like we're seeing this afternoon. Right? One, of the, one of the men that will be baptized prayed and asked the Lord to save him at Thanksgiving table. Um, that, that we see this every month. Another person, another person, another person, bowing. These are people that you have to meet. I'm not going to meet everybody. You have to meet. Love them to Jesus. Give that bridge to them. And so in closing, let me encourage just to apply this to your heart, respond to the gospel, but also may the Lord lay someone on your heart to, to share Jesus with, okay? In closing, just take a moment with that. I'll be standing in the lobby if you'd like to pray. Um, but, but would you let the Holy Spirit do that? Um, and just say, I can't do that. Good! That's where you need to start. But, but ask for a heart that loves them, and then for an opportunity to bond with them, identify with them in kindness, and then a bridge. And then don't short-sell judgment Faith and the resurrection. Okay? Let's pray for that opportunity in closing. In a moment we'll...